Eh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. And Radio Drome is not all that original. It's derivative of Video Drome. Plays off your nostalgia for a 1983 movie that most people haven't seen. But with me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. I've seen it. Yeah, and trust me, I said nobody's seen it. You're a nobody. Aw, boo. I'm partially somebody. Partially? Partially some. <laughs> Peter is ha- celebrating his birthday this week, so he's probably face down in a toilet right now. So filling in for him is the effervescent Mike White. Oh, I feel so bubbly all of a sudden. I was trying to think of something that you could mildly take as an insult, but wasn't overtly one. Hmm. Okay. So Cecil, I'm going to throw it back to you, Adam and Eve. Oh, um... You've had a bad week. You you need this to just make yeah, it... Yeah, I, I do. I, yeah, this makes everything better. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, uh, you get 10 free DVDs, a uh, mystery gift, a uh, gift for him, a gift for her, free U.S. shipping, and I think that's it at adamandeve.com, promo code DROME. What I want to talk about tonight is the cannibalism that takes place within Hollywood. Now, I'm not talking about, like, you know, movies ripping off one another, rip-off exploitation, not that kind of cannibalism. We've already dealt with that. I'm talking about the whole cannibalizing of nostalgia, and that's essentially what we have at this point. I mean, Jurassic World is a huge hit right now, almost going completely off of the fact that, hey, you liked the first film, right? You didn't like the sequels, but you liked the first film. Remember how good that one was. Now go see Jurassic World. This week, Terminator Genesis comes out and is failing to do the exact thing that Jurassic World did. Why do you think we have this strange dichotomy of constantly mining the past for the future? Is is there nothing left besides mining the past? Well, I think there's a lot of original stories out there that have yet to be told and are still being told. And uh, I think there's a lot of properties that haven't been you know, given their time in the sun, thinking of a couple of years ago with Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, uh, not even every Marvel fan knew about. And so it was kind of a nice breath of fresh air. Yes, it played with a lot of tropes that we were familiar with, but it really was not necessarily recycling the same stuff. It wasn't a sequel. It wasn't a remake. It wasn't a, you know, uh, what do they call these? Reboot, any of these kind of things. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've mentioned two really good things, and then I don't know how many weeks it is until we see uh, yet another Fantastic Four movie. So the third reboot, or the third time that that's been done, fourth if you count the sequel with the uh, Silver Surfer, but yeah, um, I think that it, a lot of the problem comes down to the whole idea of these are known quantities and people want to be comfortable with what they're going to spend their six, ten dollars on at the movie theater. Could you fairly then call this nostalgia exploitation? <laughs> sure, why not? I think that it factors more in with reboots and remakes. Like, I, I don't, even though Jurassic Park is kind of a reboot, it's not really because it is still. A sequel so i would rather them continue a series even something where there's a big gap like that than just starting over again from the beginning because it's like we already know where you were like we want to see where it's going so uh i mean sometimes a series gets so screwed up that they have to reboot it like they did with the batman movies it made sense for them to kind of go back and start with a different tone and whatnot for them to go forward with Jurassic Park, it made sense because the first one was a hit and two and three were financially successful, but they did kind of put the brakes on it for a while and four came back really strong. So it, it was cool that they, they continued what they already had worked off of instead of just, you know, starting fresh again. Uh, the Terminator Genesis thing, 
it's kind of a sequel reboot. And I think that they went in with good intentions, but probably too many producers got into it and did the whole, well, you know, it has to be PG-13. And, well, we want to do a reboot, but people are kind of getting sick of reboots. But since Terminator's already about time travel, let's kind of meddle with the time-space thing. And, and then that way they can say that 3 and 4 never happened. Because that way, you know, that, so they can kind of keep the, the, the purists of the first two happy. But isn't that also kind of going to the unoriginality of the nostalgia exploitation aspect? Like Terminator Genesis, I had a friend who stopped counting after the 30th reference to the first two films. <laughs> and then you get that, like, Predators. I loved Predators. But after about a half hour of every couple of minutes being a direct reference to the first film, I'm like, look. I get it. You like the first movie. Whenever they make these long ingestation sequels, isn't that kind of the definition of nostalgia exploitation when it's constantly referencing the original film or the source material, though, Cecil? Yeah, but I mean, uh, I I haven't seen Genesis, whatever, yet, so I can't say exactly. It's Genesis. If you can't spell it right, I'm not pronouncing it right. <laughs> Genesis, yeah, Um so I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but it does seem like they are kind of riding off of the whole uh, nostalgic thing. Hey, you know that thing that you love? Uh, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, back making movies again, so let's have him go back and be the Terminator. And uh, I, I initially was excited because I thought it kind of looked neat, and then it just the more I saw of it, the more I kind of got sad. And I, I don't know. It's it's kind of that's kind of a weird place for me because at least they. I think their heart was in the right place as far as continuing the series, but I would have rather, I know you're going to disagree with me, I would have rather them continued like they were going to with the whole Future War thing after um, after Salvation. Or I just give the damn TV series a finale. We we know that, and, and the TV series had its fans too, so uh, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. At least, it, at least it's not a remake, because I am getting increasingly tired with that that's kind of why i'm a little like iffy on the on the new spider-man because it's like don't go back and start it over again we already know what happens and it's like we don't need another origin movie you know just kind of cut to the chase if you're going to do another spider-man movie and every other superhero movie that's kind of coming out now that uh is going to be rebooted does it bother you when you see you know like Indiana Jones 4 or the new Star Wars movies, the critics that have already seen rough cuts have said they're full of references to the old films. Does that annoy you or make you happy as somebody who watched the original films? Or do you think those things are specifically there for the people who are not old fogies like us who didn't see Star Wars in the theater? I think it, it usually makes me more mad than glad. I uh, am thinking specifically of things like Batman Return. Batman Returns, Superman Returns, where there were so many references to the original Superman and Superman 2 that after a while it was just like, you are quoting the exact same dialogue from these movies? Why are you doing that? This just really annoying. And I would rather have like subtle things going on. You know, if you're in the know, then you get it rather than these kind of ham fisted, hey, check this out, wink, wink, point, point, big neon sign kind of going off. It was like, I actually thought that Jurassic World kind of handled that fairly well. Like, there's one part where they're on this train and you can see somebody's reading a book by Dr. Ian Malcolm. You see his picture on the back of this book. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. Nice little subtle things going on. Even when they got to the original place, I was like, okay, this works. I like that they're revisiting this place, but they're not, you know, you don't have uh, like a uh, a TV image of Dr. Alan Grant, like, if you're seeing this, I'm dead by now, or anything like that. I was glad that they kept it. You know, if you know what's going on, cool. If not, you're okay. And see, I agree with you on that. I don't know if you've seen the Supergirl pilot that leaked out yet. That does that same thing in a very intelligent way. They they only have a couple, maybe less than a minute of screen time, but Supergirl's adoptive Earth parents are Helen Slater and Dean Kane. Nice. And I thought, that's how you do it. They absolutely work just as the actors, but if you get the joke, there's an added layer. That's how you do a callback, I think. No, it's nice. Nice and subtle kind of stuff. You don't have to 
beat me over the head with the reference. I mean, after the, what, third time of I've got a bad feeling about this when it came to, like, Return of the Jedi, I was like, okay, I get it, you like that line. I really don't need to see that now in the prequels. I don't need all of this kind of stuff. And just, like, thank God we didn't get a young Han Solo kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, as far as even the Crystal Skull stuff, it was just like, uh, yeah, I get it. You know, like the music swelling and giving us the theme for the Ark of the Covenant when we see that box. And he's like, oh, trust me, I know. Like, had it just been the music cue, I would have been okay with it, but the pointed reference was like oh gosh why do you have to do this another good one of that example would be the 2003 Battlestar Galactica miniseries the in universe the national anthem for the characters is the theme song from the original 70s show Mm -hmm. I thought Hmm. that's a brilliant little callback for those who get it if you don't it's not intrusive Tony Stark's ringtone in the first Iron Man is the old 60s cartoon theme I'm like that's great Nice little quick thing, so it's not like the orchestrated version. It's not like even in Spider-Man, where you've got the woman out on the street singing the Spider-Man cartoon theme and stuff. I'm like, no, no, that's a little too much. Let's tone it back a little. Just have a little music cue in there, rather than this, you know, let's stop the show and have this original, you know, cartoon theme here. Is it better or worse if then you'd use these references to make fun of the original property. Like in the RoboCop, oh. like in the RoboCop remake. I was knew in, you were going to go with yeah, that. <laughs> how they joke about how the original 80s costume looks like an action figure. No. Is, is that just insulting the audience you claim you are making this for? Isn't that counterintuitive? Well, it's it's poking fun at it, and th- there there's there comes a fine line where you can kind of joke about it, and then it's the the other one where it's just ah the other early one that was dumb and stupid. Ours is so much better, and that was kind of the feeling that I got from the new RoboCop. It was like it didn't respect the original. There are a lot of uh, remakes and reboots where they throw in a couple of little nods, and that's it. And it feels like they genuinely respected the original. But Robocop the Robocop came across as arrogant. Yeah, it's mm. like, look at how much better ours is. These effects are better and the action's better and this. And it just, it really came across as smug and it made me dislike the movie. And it sucked because I like, I wanted to give it a genuine chance. I like the cast and I thought that there were some good ideas in there, but just the arrogance of it and the whole, and the fact that it was just lame for a PG-13 even. Like, uh, I've seen some PG-13 movies that, like, at least pushed it. This, it was just, like, safe the entire time, and, ugh, it just was... You're just you're just still mad that they ruined Hocus Pocus from Focus for you. <laughs> you yeah, out of place. <laughs> I would not buy that for a dollar. Not that crappy cover. No, oh, it was... Yeah, that part just still... I'm scratching my head over. Like, who thought that was a good idea for the song? Well, that also brings up the the next question. Are they aiming at the wrong audience, usually, when they make these? Let's go back to the RoboCop remake. They specifically said that they made this for a new generation of RoboCop fans, and yet over 70% of ticket sales were to people over 30. Did they miscalculate did they say, we want to make this for the new generation, and the new generation just didn't care? Yeah, uh, I, I wish that they knew how to market stuff the right way, and it just, um, yeah, I, really, I don't know why they didn't just continue on with stuff that they did from the television show or things that they did. You can even pick up from three if you wanted, or set it 100 years in the future. I, Yeah, I'm just frustrated when it comes to the whole idea of, you know, trying to repackage things for a new audience when maybe the new audience doesn't even care. At this point, RoboCop, maybe it's too far gone for the kids to enjoy, so just give them something new. Except I think sometimes that can work, like with Mad Max Fury Road. That, I think, works if you're a fan who saw those originally, or if Fury Road's your first Mad Max film. That, I think, is one of the rare times where it's a reboot, remake, sequel, where they did it right. 
Oh, completely. Yeah, it stands alone. There are very, very subtle nods to some of the older films. And yeah, you don't have to know what the hell's going on with those older movies. I mean, even when it came to the original films, you know, one didn't necessarily, you know, two didn't speak to one that much. Three didn't speak to two that much. You know, so it was nice that they kind of were these standalone films and Fury Road just kept on with that and you know th- I think that's one of the reasons why it is more successful when it comes to a fourth part and especially a fourth part so many years removed from the last thing that we saw RoboCop the a large part of why it worked was the timing of it the it was uh it was a great chunk of satire and now with robotics and stuff actually a thing kids like it's not you don't have that much like wonder so uh when they're repackaging something like that to sell to the pg-13 crowd they're just looking at it as like that old dumb thing that their parents like you know well it's it's not uh twilight or it's not um uh i don't know uh, harry potter or something you know, it's that old thing that was, you know, that my my parents always talk about how good it is. Then when the parents go to see that thing, then they're disappointed because the movie clearly wasn't made for them. It was made for their kids, and the kids don't give a shit. Well, that said, how about just packaging old material? For instance, the quote HD versions of The Wire and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, two shows that were shot full frame and shot in standard definition. They have both been made into a fake widescreen with fake HD and color correction that has completely destroyed everything about them. Because 20th Century Fox and HBO decided, well, see, today's kids, the kids in high school today, they're not going to want to watch a full-frame show that's not in HD. Is that arrogant on the part of the kids? Do you think that that they really, if somebody wants to get into the wire, they'll, oh, I don't want to watch that, that's full frame. Or do you think that that is just the arrogance of the studios basically thinking that the the youth of today are such morons that they can't enjoy the wire, you know, the way it was shot? Yeah, I think that's just stupid. I mean, it's that whole thing of like, you know, do you have to see Citizen Kane widescreen now? Is this uh, not acceptable that there are things shot in Academy Ratio? I mean, it's just the whole idea of letterboxing and 16 by 9 and all this kind of stuff is to show things in their original aspect ratio. So why would you fake that out? That's just ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I've been hearing a lot of rumblings about this new third man blu-ray that's out there where they've actually cleaned up the image too much and made it too sparkly and everything and it's like no the grit and everything was supposed to be there don't clean up something that's not supposed to be clean isn't this kind of the same thing we faced in the 80s though when ted turner said and and i'm i'm not quoting but i'm paraphrasing people won't watch a black and white movie as easily as they will a color movie. And since he owns so many black and white movies, he just said, well, I need to colorize them. Isn't that the same kind of almost farciful arrogance that we're talking about with the HD thing? Isn't it the colorization of today? I don't, well, I don't know, because colorization never really took off all that much. So um, I think this, unfortunately, has got a lot more traction to it. The The colorization thing... It, you know, there was a couple of movies that, that uh, they recolored, but it, it didn't really go over, so they kind of dropped it. As far as the whole, like, full-frame widescreen thing, I really just put that on the arrogance of the studios, because more than likely, uh, you've got a combination of the old people that are running the studios that have way too much money, and then you've got the younger ones who think that they know better. And so they're kind of coming in there convincing the older ones that this is what the young generation really wants. And meanwhile, it's like, no, just if you if you release it as it is, put put the episodes of Buffy out or whatever, put them in in high definition, but put them as full frame, put them how they were. No, shot. No, no. They actually when they HD them, they color corrected them all to the point of they shot numerous day for night shots that now are clearly day-for-day shots in the HD remasters because they've been completely color-corrected to what a modern-day HD show should look like. 
Well, I'm talking when I'm saying like HD, I'm I'm talking about cleaning up the print. I'm not talking about going in and I that really does bother me because now you're taking it and you're changing it. You're not just uh, you know, you're not cutting off the top and the bottom and forcing. It's kind of funny because we used to get the opposite where it would be like you right. they, would, they would take a widescreen and you know, do a give it a terrible pan and scan. And we would just lose so much of the screen. And now they're doing the opposite. They're taking something that was shot full frame and kind of chopping off the top and the bottom. And now they're really screwing up the picture because they're stretching things out and it doesn't look right. And yeah, now if they're color correcting it, that's just stupid. Knock it the hell off. This has kind of died down. This was a big thing in the in the late 90s and early 2000s, but they're still doing this. Do you think that there's a reason that the old pulps cannot seem to be adapted properly, like John Carter being a perfect example? to a modern audience that they don't care. I mean, the Phantom was a failure. The Shadow was a failure. Whenever they try and make the old pulp stuff into a modern setting, or in, for a modern audience, I mean, why do you think the modern audience almost collectively goes, eh? I mean, seriously, the only one that I think ever worked, quote, would be Defenders of the Earth, the cartoon. Because you got to remember, as much as I love Flash Gordon... That movie bombed on its initial release. That didn't find its audience till video. Do you think the pulps at this point just cannot be adapted to a modern audience? Is it, it Are pulp stories such a different art form that you could make these in the 50s and 60s, but not in the 2015s? No, I totally don't think that. I think a lot of the movies that you're talking about, like The Phantom and things like The Shadow, they're bad movies. They're just not done well. They're not, you know good at all. I actually liked John Carter, or as I prefer, call, prefer to call it, John Carter of Mars. I mean, there's plenty of good adaptations of Tarzan. There's plenty of bad adaptations of the same thing. I think it's just a matter of understanding your source material and going from there. You can point out a lot of horrible adaptations, things like The Spirit, some of these, but I think more than anything, it's just understanding your source material. So, and I think some of it, they're just painting, you know, we've been talking about nostalgia exploitation. They're painting some of these things with this kind of nostalgic brush, which really shouldn't be done. They're painting some of these things that are coming to us from the 30s and 20s as being from a kinder, gentler time when they are much more rough and tumble than what we're used to today. So they need to kind of, you know, embrace that harder edge that they have. I think that that's why something like a Conan the Barbarian, yes, I know it was 1980, but I think that that's where something like that succeeds versus the remake of Conan, which is much more just like more the sorcery than the sword and sorcery, and it didn't necessarily embrace the intelligence that the source material had. Well, also the fact that I would say the pulps read, and I'm not meaning this to be insulting, they're both incredibly simplistic and incredibly complex at the same time. And I think whenever they get adapted, with Conan being a notable exception, they lose the, com the complexity part. No, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, it's even you can even look at you know comic book adaptations. Look at something like League, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where there's so much good stuff going on in that, and then it was just watered down and turned into common everyday slop. Um, they can, they just need to, uh, there are certain things they need to update. For example, uh, I think a large part of why the Phantom didn't work is because they decided to do the costume exactly the way that it was. And a giant purple spandex suit, uh, on a guy running through the jungle just, it just looks ridiculous. Maybe back in, uh, the old days, uh, on, on the comic pages, it looks fine. And even if in the old serials in the black and whites, I'm sure there is such a thing as being too faithful, like with the the X-Men movies, where that was a genuine joke in the first X-Men, where uh, Wolverine was like, uh, you know, nice, nice outfit. And they were like, what do you want? Yellow spandex? That was funny because it wasn't it wasn't like making fun of it, but it was kind of pointing out, all right, you know, yellow spandex looks great on the comic page would look ridiculous actually it did not would look ridiculous did look ridiculous they did costume tests and they said the actors just looked insane in these so they're like we gotta redesign these costumes 
Yeah, I mean, and, and that makes perfect sense because it didn't take away from the movie at all. And it just made it that much. I mean, it made it that much more appealing. Certain things you're, you're whenever you're going to a new medium, you have to make alterations. So that was one that I was fine with. And if they ever uh, were to do another Phantom, uh, if they were to kind of make it a little less silly, you know, update the outfit so it doesn't look quite as ridiculous. And because I didn't think that the movie in and of itself was all that bad. I thought they had good production values. It's just it was kind of hard to get past that big purple suit. Do you think that when a new movie tries to bring an old medium to a new audience, do they kind of oversell it? Like, I loved Grindhouse, but Grindhouse really isn't that representative of an actual Grindhouse film. It's way, I mean, like, Planet Terror is my favorite part of Grindhouse, but there is no actual Grindhouse movie from the Grindhouse era that is that nuts and over the top. I mean, even something like Mr. No Legs is like a Tarantino wet dream, and even that is incredibly tame compared to a Tarantino kind of version of Grindhouse. Like, I, I heard one critic say of Kill Bill, and keep in mind, I liked Kill Bill Volume 1. He said that this is an insane Tarantino version of what a Grindhouse movie was. Do you think that missells, say, like the 70s and 80s stuff, and like you've got all these things like Kung Fury and all that, that just take all of the goofy aspects of what they're proclaiming to love? Do you think that, that they're not remembering just how talky Grindhouse movies were and how arguably tame they are compared to the way Tarantino interprets them? It's kind of a double-edged sword with me with some of that stuff. I mean, the whole idea of like labeling everything Grindhouse for a little while, which I'm so glad that that's died down, but that was just, uh, that got to be a little much. But at the same time, I'm really glad that there were things that were kind of being brought back to the surface, you know, and, and having that label slapped on it, people were able to see these things either again or for the first time. So, I don't know. I think it was a, a misuse of the term, but um, for, for the modern stuff, but again, I was glad that they were able to kind of get that appreciation going for it. So, I don't know how I really feel about that. With stuff like Hobo with a Shotgun and, and uh, Wolf Cop and they're kind of taking that and pushing it to like a ridiculous level on purpose. Like they know, because uh, a lot of the people that do those films are genuine fans of like that era. And they're just kind of taking the design and maybe the look and the aesthetic of it and really pushing it to a degree that the uh, old Grindhouse movies couldn't do at the time. So with that, I, I like it. I get annoyed more by when people will, will mislabel something, you know, they'll, Oh, well, that, that movie is, is uh, it's a grindhouse type film and it's clearly not, you know, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of, there was uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you go, uh, no, this was released by Paramount and had a $20 million budget. That's not a grindhouse right. film. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, yeah, uh, Grindhouse, you could have made, you could have made like 30 Grindhouse films with that, with that, the budget of that one film. Well, but that said, then why do the throwback movies tend to not work? I don't mean creatively, I mean financially, like Grindhouse was an utter flop. Hobo with a Shotgun only made its money back on video. These things don't seem to work as well. Like, you've got Disco Exorcist and the Atomic Brain Invasion, which is a 50s throwback, and all of these movies just kind of get lost in the shuffle. Rather than watching a movie that's an homage to an old 50s film or a 70s film, we would rather just go and watch an old 50s or 70s film? Uh, no, because a lot of times uh, I like the new... Uh, I mean, I'm not bad-mouthing the old, like, 50s uh, or, you know, the 70s Grindhouse films. Uh, there's a lot of you know, genuinely cool ones about, uh, back then. With the new ones, I like uh, the, the aesthetic of them. I like how ridiculous they're going, and I think that it is kind of something new. Uh, the majority of them, though, are not ever really intended to make it to a mainstream audience. I think probably one of the largest of the mainstream 
would be uh, Kung Fury. And that was simply because that kind of became a viral sensation. And that's why, you know, it just appealed to a bunch of people who they it was think, also free. If you had to pay for it, that might have been, that might not have turned out as well. But it might not have blown up quite as big, you know, if it was studio made picture that went theatrical and, and whatnot. But the majority of the films, the the hobo with the shotguns, uh, the, the the wolf cops, those kind of things like they were never really intended on being mainstream hits. They were always intended to uh, kind of be direct-to-video, or if they did get theatrically released, get very small releases. So uh, I think that uh, they're succeeding in their own way. Um, I'd say more Hobo with a Shotgun over Wolf Cop, though. Are they really failures? I mean, I can understand financially Grindhouse was a failure, but are things like Wolf Cop, are those... Are those financially failures or just not hitting with audiences? I think it's a little bit of both. I I know Hobo with a Shotgun wasn't the financial hit that they wanted, but it did make its money back. Because I I think with Hobo with a Shotgun, they were hoping this would do on video what Grindhouse could not do in the theater, and that didn't work. Wolf Cop kind of had a big spurt where everyone was talking about Wolf Cop for two weeks, and now everyone's like, oh, yeah, I did see Wolf Cop. Well, it's kind of sad to say, though, that that's kind of the same thing for everything. You know, it is very much this kind of, and I'm not trying to duck your question, but it's just like, you know, Kung Fury came out and everybody talks about it for three, four days. You know, same thing, though, with something like a Jurassic uh, World. That comes out, you hear about it the first weekend, and then after that, it's all, quote-unquote, stragglers. Like, I finally saw this film, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, you know, we're it's such a culture of just like okay the immediate thing you know it's very rare to even see people talking about older titles i'm that's one of the things i'm glad about you know talking with you guys and other film fans where we can talk about things that are over you know two weeks old and and have a meaningful conversation so i don't know um measure of successes sometimes with some of these things is it that you get so many hits on your web page so many likes on facebook so many dollars in your pocket i'm not sure where wolf cop kind of falls on that kind of spectrum and i'm just picking a wolf cop because it's so much fun to say the title hmm. if only the movie were as good as its trailer was but the yeah that's the thing that's the thing is this whole like kind of i don't i hate to say the term remix culture but it's the idea of like so many of these newer grindhouse-ish type things are taking what they figure people like or what the filmmakers like and being able to just jam them all together. I think that's why Kung Fury was more successful because, what, it was a half an hour long? Able to squeeze a lot of good stuff into a half an hour. Had it been an hour and a half, that's when the talking begins and that's when we get some really bad scenes happening. That's true. Now let's go to the unintelligent part of our conversation. Why do they keep mining our specific childhood for our age groups for a modern audience like Battleship and Ouija? And, I mean, Cecil told told me right before the show that they're making a Monopoly movie non-ironically. I mean, I get video games as movies, but board games and action figures? I mean, who would have thought Transformers would have had, what are they, five movies now? G.I. Joe has two. Nobody liked either of them. No Bullshit. one has liked <laughs> any of the Transformers movies, yet they make tons of money. They're all just mining our childhood. They keep threatening us now with a live-action He-Man, a live-action Thundercats, and I'm going, stop! You know you're not going to make it good. You know the modern audience doesn't care, and you're going to change everything that our generation loved about it, so why make it? I think what a lot of it is, is simply that the ideas that came from our generation, the G.I. Joes, the uh, all the board games, the He-Mans and all that, those are ideas that do turn, you know, they, they make for good entertainment. And I think that now, now change everything. Well, well, that's kind of the, the conundrum that we're running into is that. You get um, people like they said uh, a while ago. Uh, this is kind of going off a little bit more into uh, the video game territory. The director who was going to do the uh, Uncharted movie, he was like, well, what I really like about the movie or what I really like about the, the game is how it's about 
a family dynamic and you've got a family of, of treasure hunters. And if you've ever played any of the, the, uh, the games, you know that it is not about a family. It's mostly about a guy, uh, Nathan Drake, who is uh, kind of a very Indiana Jones thing. So it's all right about off- a guy shooting other people in the face for their gold. Pretty much. And you, so you get people that are coming in that have an, you know, a, a, just a, a running knowledge, uh, a very basic knowledge of whatever the property is. And they don't know anything beyond the fact that it was once successful. And so what they want to do is they're like, okay, well, we're going to take that idea and we're going to shoehorn it into whatever we want. Hey, battleship. It's a board game about two battleships fighting or, you know, about two fleets of ships fighting against each other. Let's make it a let's put aliens in it. And they'll look like Transformers because they have no originality at all. Exactly. So now they're ripping off two things. They're taking the you know, they're taking the name of Battleship and then they're ripping off Transformers. And and somehow they managed to make a movie that's even worse than Transformers, which is a Herculean feat uh, unto itself. There were a, a, a lot of good ideas in the 80s and 90s and, you know, going back to the 70s. I'm not saying there was any good ideas before that, but it's just that's what they're mining now is that it's like, okay, 70s, 80s and 90s, we can pull from there. And what we'll do is we'll get the new crowd, but we'll also get the younger crowd. And they're getting to a point of diminishing returns because they're running out of shit to remake. You know, it's like, well, we've already remade this. Well, let's remake it again. And then we've already made, well, let's remake it again. And then you're starting to get into... Uh, remakes and reboots of things that have already been done numerous times. Well, as far as why our particular generation, I mean, I think it's because we're the generation that's kind of coming up in the world. We're the ones that are in power now, um, for better or for worse. And, you know, it's that age group that saw Star Wars when they were little kids and just are so super nostalgic for that. And it's kind of sad how nostalgia just kind of clouds us a little bit as far as like oh everything was so great when we were kids and it's like oh not necessarily and some of these tv shows that we liked a lot they were pretty shitty you know i'm glad that they haven't made like a sigmund and the sea monsters movie yet or anything so they might be i heard sid and marty croft had a whole bunch of their stuff optioned last year oh jesus christ but mike there's a fantastic quote out there the smoothest and most convincing of all liars is memory yeah oh yeah and, you know, when I talk about movies, there's a lot of movies where I'm like, I like this movie, but I saw it a lot when I was a kid. And it just, you can offset a lot of arguments when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, hey, Crawl might be a great movie, it might be a shitty movie, but I saw it a whole lot of times when I was a kid. I have very fond memories of that movie. So, to me, it's a great film. But if you come up to me and you start telling me that Crawl's a piece of shit... Uh, hey, I'm not going to disagree with you. That's your opinion of that kind of stuff. I can't, I can't, I can't argue. Dis- yeah, I can't argue because, like, yeah. Transformers the movie, the 86 one, the critic in me says, this movie's terrible. But the the kid in me, even though I'm 40, the kid in me goes, God, I love this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as far as the idea of these constant remakes and stuff, I mean, I don't like to just throw this stuff out wholesale. I mean, because sometimes they will take a TV property or board game or whatever and do something really clever with it. You know, I'm thinking of stuff stuff like the Brady Bunch movie or, you know, the Addams Family movies or, um, you know, Josie and the Pussycats, these kind of things where it's like, wow, this is really smart. You know, before we started uh, recording, we were talking about Scooby-Doo and things like Mysteries Incorporated and some of the Scooby-Doo TV movies that they've done where it's like, I didn't necessarily care that much for the Freddie Prince Jr. version of Scooby-Doo. I didn't dislike it, and I think it led to a lot of other good things as far as now having Matthew Lillard do the voice of Shaggy in some of these cartoons. But some of the new cartoon movies, oh, they are so good. And again, they can make references to old things. They don't have to be super pointed about it. If you get it, great. If not, move on. You're still enjoying what you're seeing. Why do you think they keep going back and like Scooby Doo is has been con- continuously successful despite a couple of small ebbs in its flow? You're still getting sequels. A lot of people forget that there are still direct-to-video sequels to Amityville coming out. There are now 14 official Amityville movies. They're making another witchcraft movie, which I think is the 13th or 14th. Why do you think when these 
the, the, you know, you always hear about, oh, well, it's the title. All they want is the title. But when the title has no meaning anymore, why still do it? Are they still going after people who went, wow, I saw Amityville 3 in 3D. Now I really do want to see Amityville goddamn 14. I mean, you know, when you get these sequelitis, I mean, they made a Children of the Corn remake as recently as three years ago. Was anyone asking for that? It's just like it was just announced today that Independence Day 3 might be in jeopardy because the studio wants to make a Stargate reboot instead. And I went, whoa, 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 we don't even have Independence Day 2, let alone 3 being in jeopardy. And then who the f*** asked for a sequel to a 1994 movie that nobody liked? I think this goes all the way back to our talk about the Corman films with uh, Carnosaur, where they, Car- you know, Corman kept making them until they, you know, when they stopped turning a profit. And you have to imagine that the Children of the Corn movies, they have to be pulling in enough money to justify them uh, to keep going. Someone's watching. I, we're watching them. I, That's only I, because I'm forcing you. That's only because I forced you to. Yes, I, I I watched a few of them on my own accord. Especially two. Uh, I will two. I'll watch just you know on a on a lazy Saturday afternoon. But um, some of but the later I'm torturing ones. You, but but for Halloween, I'm torturing you. You've got to watch all 14 Amityville movies for Halloween. Uh, you know what? Although I will say I like some of the uh, later ones. I like the uh, well, we've talked about this. Before. I like about time. It's about time, and uh, I am curious about the new one with the um, uh, with the, the Disney Channel chick whose name is escaping me at this particular moment. But uh, the one that's lo- half of a found footage movie, which just shows how unoriginal even the Amityville movies can get. It looks like a piece of crap, but it looks like it might be an entertaining piece of crap. But uh, but aside from that, I, I think that there were some kind of cool things and, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I, that they keep making them because they keep making money. Does it hurt your soul as a film fan a, a little bit to know that Cecil's probably right, that there are they are making enough money to keep making Children of the Corn and Amityville sequels? Oh, yeah. You know, I think about those movies that were other films, had original scripts, and then they would take them and say, oh, no, let's put Pinhead in this, call it Hell- Hellraiser 4 or 5 or whatever, and that's absolutely fine. And they, I, why? What's the logic behind that? I think the logic is because people will pay to see something that has Hellraiser on the box, and I, I'm an old man for saying on the box, rather than just you know seeing anonymous horror movie number 10,455. So it's kind of sad, but... Then what about, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, the, the that new Fantastic Four movie we've got coming out, which I think looks disastrous, but to be fair, I don't think it can be worse than the last two Fantastic Four movies that we got, or the 90s cartoon. And I actually liked the Roger Corman movies, so sue me. Does it seem like sometimes when they are bringing this nostalgia exploitation out there that they change everything almost in a way to piss off everyone who they are supposedly attracting? Because the director of this new Fantastic Four, the, the actress, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, who's playing Sue Storm, said she wanted to research it. She was never a comic fan, so she went and bought a bunch of the old Marvel Masterworks to, to read up on how Sue Storm acted. The director told her, point blank, and I'm quoting, don't bother, there's nothing like that in this movie. Hmm. Is that not just somebody who's doing it specifically to tell fans of the Fantastic Four, f*** off? I don't know what his motivation was with stuff like that. I mean, you can go ahead and say, you know, we are doing something so different that you shouldn't be clouded by anybody else's interpretation than what's there on the script page. But I don't know. I agree with you, though. There are a lot of times where it feels like there's just uh, (laughs) like turning the screws on the people who really enjoyed something. And it's like. Is that one of those cases where we had this script, we figured we'd add these characters and just change it around enough to be able to call it something else? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, that's just, there are moments where it's just like, why would you do that? What? Just stop it. Is it wise to play to the new demographic, like how Dr. Doom is now a blogger whose nick, whose screen name was DR Doom? Is that mm. not, idi- I mean, that's idiotic to us. But do you think, like, a 15-year-old seeing that next month is going to go, that's awesome that he's a blogger, dude? Uh, I, I don't know, because I think even 
even like the younger generation, they see some stuff like that. And it's it's like, oh, that's like they're looking at it from the perspective of that's what their parents would think is cool. You know, oh, he's a blogger named Dr. Doom. That's so lame. I'm looking at the the IMDb page of the director of uh, of this, Josh Trank. And he is he. Well, first off, his I, I, I'm not judging a guy by his by his picture, but he does look smug. And the only other thing huh. he, he directed, uh, he 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 did some TV episodes of uh, uh, Kill Point, but his big thing was he did Chronicle, and Chronicle was that superhero found footage film that had a really great idea that was a really great idea. It was a Kirov with fast found footage, right? But I mean, it was they kind of went a little. It wasn't it wasn't straight up Akira. It was different enough. It was the last hour of Akira. Right. But anyway, they uh, I thought it was neat. I thought it would have been better if it wasn't a found footage movie, because that's one of my biggest things with found footage movies is that they they always find a way to have a camera, no matter how stupid it is. Oh, well, we've got a, a, a street corner lamp that or a street corner camera that just happened to capture this at the right angle. The problem and, with found yeah. footage is. They forget why the first found footage movie, Cannibal Holocaust, worked. It worked because the found footage was worked into the story, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. completely a found footage movie. I think a lot of people look at Cannibal Holocaust, they want to make a found footage film, they forget just why Cannibal Holocaust worked, or I'm a film snob. No, I think that a lot of the people that want to make a found footage film have never even heard of Cannibal Holocaust. They probably are going by the notion uh, of, you know, the Blair Witch Project being the first found footage film. Because the thing is... I actually stopped reading a Yahoo article that was bitching about how many found footage movies there are, and they said Blair Witch was the first found footage movie. I'm like, you know what? If you can't do your research, you're not... I'm not reading this. Even even the guys who... who, uh, Sanchez and um, Myrick, even they'll admit that Blair Witch Project was not the first found footage film. It was just the one that kind of broke it into the mainstream. There was a, a, a bunch of found footage films before the Blair Witch Project. Uh, it just so happens that that was the one that really, you know, hit it home. And uh, Chronicle Chronicle just, just failed. Like, I wanted to like it, but I just hated it because it was like, they're, they're, have, did you see it at all? Or I, I guess you did, right? I, I, I've seen it. I don't know if Mike has. Um, I have, yeah. There's there's a point in the film where like cuz the kid is is filming everything with a camera and then later on in the film, you know, he he's flying around. He's now I actually controlling laughed at the, the camera. Like, I actually laughed at the camera's floating behind him just following him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh yeah. my god, I'm supposed he's to like, take this serious." I'm using the camera, you know. I I my brain has evolved so much. I just have the camera's follow. Well, you know what? If your brain evolved that much, you you would no longer give a shit about the cameras following you around you'd be anymore. Lucy. Right, mm-hmm. you'd be you turn into a flash drive. That right. is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that movie had already one up dumb for me and then when she became a flash drive I was like I actually think this is satire if it I is would, it's brilliant satire except I, I don't think with Luke Besson it is no it, it's not and I like Luke Besson stuff I, I was I was enjoying it to a certain degree and then when she became like super Scarlett Johansson and all of a sudden I'm really smart so I am and going to she was to in a recliner facing like off this. against a dinosaur and and yeah, and, oh, yeah, that's right. When she was when she went all the way back to creation and, and the Jurassic era, what a what a nice. dumb movie that was supposed. To, I didn't hate it, but I was I found myself laughing at it more than anything. Like it was it was a really dumb movie that was supposed to be smart. I still liked it more than that Terrence Malick uh, dinosaur scene. So I think I'd like a waking colonoscopy with no lube more than a Terrence Malick movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're making a... You want to talk about continuation? They're making a Lucy sequel. How are they making a Lucy sequel? She's a flash drive. Well, now it can be Tron. No, she, she's, <laughs> she's, she's going to be cloud storage now. <laughs> <laughs> but she's already, like... I, I, I think cause she already got uh, 100%, so she's godlike. 
Lucy turning into a flash drive is dumb. Lucy turning into a flash. Actually, I um, I, I was having really a hard time in the beginning when uh, she was talking to the boyfriend and he was trying to convince her to go into the building and they're showing like lions stalking the gazelle. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the most heavy handed like symbolism. We get it. She's going into the lion's den. Oh. Do you look forward to or do you resent your generation, our generation, if you will, being mined like this? Are we just kind of being used for the modern entertainment? Because like, oh, we weren't good enough to get a to get, you know, some of these movies like you know, we weren't good enough to get Watchmen back in 1988 when Terry Gilliam was going to get it. And I liked the Zack Snyder Watchmen, but we get it in the 2000s. Oh, we weren't good enough to get an American Godzilla movie in the 80s when they, you know, and I'm not counting Godzilla 85, you know what I mean. But, but we get the terrible one in the 90s. We we weren't good enough to get a G.I. Joe movie, again, live action. I'm not counting the animated stuff. In the 80s, is it kind of insulting that when you would have appreciated this more, you didn't get it, and now they're trying to almost talk down to you? Or am I just so cynical that I see it as talking down, and they're actually trying to give you what what you didn't get in your youth? Well, you know that I think you are super cynical as well, so... That's why you like um, me. Yeah, exactly. No, I... Sometimes I think it's just absolute garbage, like the Transformers movies. Um, but then other times it's like, okay, you know, I don't mind what you're doing. I mean, I like that we're in this era now where we're getting these things that just would have made me absolutely, you know, tickled with delight, um seeing things like X-Men films, for better or for worse, you know, the X-Men franchise. I would have loved that when I was, you know, reading the comics back in the late 80s. But, you know, the I think in a, a late 80s X-Men film would have just been terrible. So I'm almost glad that they would have waited. been the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that, or he would have been uh, Colossus. I think that would have worked out pretty well. But um, you wouldn't even have to change his waited. accent, really. Right? Exactly, yeah. Just slightly. It, it would have been his Red Heat voice. But uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, as long as they do it right, and there are certain properties that are doing it right, certain ones that are just failing miserably, and I hope that they just quit doing them. You know, I, I'll. Be there for opening weekend to see the Fantastic Four. I've been completely disappointed with those last two films. But, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot and see what happens. Cecil, you being younger than Mike and I, your generation isn't being mined as much as ours is right now. Do you still... But you just wait. Yeah, it'll <laughs> happen. It'll happen to you. You, uh... you know what, Cecil? I used to be with it, and then they changed what it was. Now I don't even know what it is anymore. And what what is it? And what it is seems cold and scary. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you see that our generation being mined as a warning that your generation is going to be mined, or do you even mind that it's being mined? I do, and I don't. There there is a lot of goodness that can come of it, but the problem is is that they're they're going about it all wrong. Like they're not going at it from the best of intentions they're going at it as this was a success once so if we take this property and do it but we'll put our own spin on it then it'll be a success again we're seeing that it that's not true and unfortunately they don't seem to get that they don't seem to understand that the reason why this thing was a success once was because there's a lot of factors it could be timing it could be just that it's good and if you you take that and you try to do it again, there's not uh, there's not a chance that it's going to work. I mean, there's you could even do it well and it still will fail. So uh, it's it's just they 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 need to start coming up with some new ideas before they start running out of things that they can rip off. See, the way I look at it as a much more cynical cash grab of, of literal nostalgia exploitation. Hey, you remember this from when you were a kid? Now go pay eight bucks and go see it on the big screen. And I think that is the definition of nostalgia exploitation. That's why they're mining all of, all of my childhood, because they know I'm going to have a weakness and I'm going to go, God, I remember Saturday mornings or weekday afternoons before school watching this. And they know I'm going to fall for their cynical arrogant marketing ploys except i'm so cynical as mike put it out my my cynicism cancels out their cynicism 
So they don't get me, but they get the others of my generation. So, Mike, your final thoughts on exploitation in general? I can't wait to see that remake of Back to the Future. Oh, you mean the one that won't happen in Zemeckis' lifetime? Oh, <laughs> it'll happen. He can't stop it. It's going to happen. It'll hit, him like a, just, it'll hit him like a DeLorean going 88 miles an hour, huh? Oh, just imagine all those references, all the times when people say Great Scott, and, you know, maybe they'll even get Michael J. Fox to make a cameo. Oh, the, it'll they'll, be they'll so relicense good. Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, yeah. That's oh, so great. They'll get Kanye to do a, a like, remix of it. There you go. They'll get, well, Eric, now they'll get Eric Stoltz to play Christopher Lloyd's role. Oh, my God. I could, uh, you know, that's so bad, I could almost see it happening. I better not have Can just called imagine? some demon up from hell to make this happen accidentally. Oh, I think you may have accidentally done it. And I don't like, even like Back to the Future, and I still don't want that to happen. Why? How can you not like Back to the Future? I'm not getting into that now. Uh, Can you, you imagine all the celebrity cameos that they might throw into that? All the people... Oh, man, just, you know, people from the 80s and the 90s and now, that would be great. Like, Kim Kardashian can show up at one point. It'll make about as much sense. Sense? It'll about make as much sense as having Snooki in a Three Stooges movie. It'll make about as much sense as having a Three Stooges movie nowadays. Oh, that too. I think nostalgia exploitation has always been around. I mean, hell, when I was a kid, they had a He-Man movie. Although at that time, that He-Man was only a couple of years old. I think nostalgia exploitation needs to stop, and I think the audience is the one that needs to stop it. The studios aren't going to stop it. You need to stop buying tickets. You need to go, you know what? That gem in the holograms movie is not the gem in the holograms I grew up with. Uh-oh. I'm going to stay home. You need to do that. You also need to, somebody needs to hit Jason Blum with an anvil, but that's a totally different topic. Mike? Where can people find you generally being more upbeat about film and with you, of your nostalgia? Oh, you can go over to projection-booth.com, see me there, or follow me on Twitter at ImpossibleFunky. Little spoiler, Mike will be back next week so we can talk the Norman Bates films. Well, technically, Norman Bates is in all of them. Not really. We, we talk Psycho next week. Cecil, you will not be here next week, but where can people find you? Uh, I will not be here next week, yes, but you can find me on escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflix.com, geekjuicemedia.com, and the, the usual other places, YouTube, uh, Twitter, all that fun stuff. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, go and buy a t-shirt at the website. Go and you get a butt toy from Adam and Eve and use the promo code DROME. And remember... If they're going to fuck you for your nostalgia, you can fuck them right back. The rooms were so much colder then. My father was a soldier then and times were very hard when I was young when I was young I smoked my first cigarette at ten and for girls I had a bad yen and I had quite a ball when I was young
My faith was so much stronger than I believed in fellow men And I was so much older than When I was young When I Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.